Welcome to episode 48 of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Mike Sargent, it's gonna be May. Wait, Do you get that reference? No. What is oh that? man, come on! You you you've left me hanging here, man. My Wait. pop culture savant doesn't know about pop culture. Okay, what what I miss? It's gonna be me. Is an in sync song, but Justin Timberlake when he used to sing the lyric, he always used to sing it like this. It's gonna be May. So then people's like, Yo, why do you say me like you say May? It's gonna be May, 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 May 1st, May 2nd, May 3rd, right? As opposed to, it's gonna be me. He doesn't say me, he says May. Well, he sounded a little more like uh, Jerry Lewis when he sings it that way. <laughs> so what happened, it became a meme. And if you look at every May for like the last oh, several years, I've Justin seen Timberlake comes didn't out. Understand. I saw just a meme with saying the reverse of it recently, and I didn't understand... I just scrolled past. Yeah. So it's now officially May. And with it, it carries a lot. (laughs) Uh, But one of the things I wanted to begin talking to you today, Mike, was about the Oscars. We didn't get really a chance to, to, to discuss the Oscars and the impact of these Oscars. By the way, congratulations to all the people of color that won throughout the Oscars this year. A lot of people have been labeling it as one of the most woke Oscars in history. Um, I would agree. I think this whole 2020-2021 campaign has been the most progress people of color have ever had, except for Latinos. And I'm going to be that guy, Mike. Oh, come on now, man. Like, like you're, you're, you're Mr. You're Debbie Downer, man. You're Jack Downer. Like, what's going on, man? Why can't we just have our moment in the sun, man? African-Americans won so many awards, Asians. But just because you Latinos didn't win anything doesn't mean that we all have to suffer because of your Debbie Downiness. Hold on a second. You know, it's nice that you don't want me to complain about anything. It's nice that every other ethnic and racial group won something except Latinos. And I can't complain about it because I'm going to ruin your fest. This is where I have a problem, Mike. Sadly, I wish I could say I disagree with you and you're just, you know, Jack Downey Jr. But but I do agree with you in that if you don't say something, if you're satisfied then you don't get more. And if you let it lie, it will continue to lie. So I I do think it's important actually to seriously not just amplify your um, displeasure. Darth Vader used to like to say, I am most displeased. (laughs) So I think think, uh, your your displeasure. You said that's such like Darth Vader, oh, man. Dude, I you could should do Darth Vader. Oh, you could do Darth Vader in your sleep, All man. Freaking day, I would say. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, you do the. You could do the breathing, and I'll just be. Uh, 
a resistance to the mind probe is considerable. <laughs> All right, but but I, I do agree with you. I think that in this country, you're the largest quote unquote minority, right? Okay, even though you're not a monolith, the Spanish-speaking population, and there's so many places you could come from to be considered Latin or Latinx that they had to give this broad category. How is it even possible that a Korean has won Best Actor, a a a Vietnamese has won Best Director, uh, 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 all these? You know, a black woman's nominated. All of these other minorities have made enormous progress just in the last two years, even behind the scenes and in front of the camera. What's going on? What's your take on that? Listen, we're obviously invisible to the planet. And there's a form of American apartheid that has been happening to our community, to our Latino community for decades now. Like a and cultural apartheid, or is that what you're saying? Like it's an American apartheid. You know what, what it what it what it is to me. It, it, what it means to me is this erasure from all the mainstream communities. We're not on television. We're not in movies. We're not a part of the cultural landscape outside of music. And that comes through cycles. It's not something ever really truly permanent. But we're not really in the media uh, as much. Uh, we're in last place. We're, we're like there with Native Americans, you know, Asians are having more clout than us. African-Americans obviously have more clout than us. And whites are the ones who dominate everything. They're being challenged, though, uh, you know, in the last year or so. And us Hispanics who really, truly bring in um, the, the, the numbers, the 20% of the population, 60 million Hispanics, the, the, uh, $1.7 trillion in spending power, the political power as well. I mean, we do a lot. We contribute immensely to the American landscape, but we don't contribute because we're resisted by arts and culture. Well, What's the Latino play at the Opera House? Oh, I'm sorry, there isn't one. Uh, what's the ballet one? No, there isn't. What's the symphony? No, there isn't one. What's the big movie? There? No, there isn't one right now. We're waiting for In the Heights in June 11th, and that might happen, that might not happen. Uh, what's that TV show on? Oh, no, I'm sorry, we don't have one. What's the anchor on the morning show? Oh, I'm sorry, there is no anchor Latino on the morning show on ABC, CBS, NBC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's erasure, Mike. John Leguizamo talked about this. And you know what? Donnell Rawlings, uh, funny, when he was on our show uh, earlier on, he had said that we needed all to be patient. Because I had asked him, you know, how, how do us Latinos get to be like the African-American community that they're, you could see the progress happening on television. I turn on the TV and I'm watching black television and it's awesome. When can we watch the, hey man, hey man, you guys have to be patient. Here's what he said. You know, the reason why, here's the thing. This is when people think they're doing something wrong. When they have a gauge of when it's supposed to fucking happen. Motherfuckers is worrying about the wrong thing. They like, why is it that this community, blah, blah, blah. it ain't your time, motherfucker. How is that for being simple to answer to it? It's not your time. You can't rush it. You can't look at someone else's career and decide that's your time. You have to just stay the course. And the thing that you have to do is learn how to be happy at whatever level you at. Here's what I say to Don L. Rawlings. The same thing that the great departed civil rights leader John Lewis once said, patience is a dirty word. 
We do not want our freedom gradually. We want to be free now. We don't want to be waiting, Donnell. We want to be seen now. You guys ask for it. We can ask for it too. And if we stay silent and waiting and waiting, another 30 years are going to pass by. And you're going to tell us the same thing 30 years from now. And everyone's going to tell us, just be patient. Your time will come. But time doesn't come without action, Mike. And that ultimately is the problem that I'll get into in just a bit, action. And I got a couple of ideas for that. Okay, all right. I want to ask you about that. But now let me let me let me bring in pop culture for a second here. Because everything you said, I I, I have to say I do agree with. You know, we have had on the show people from Ballet Hispanico. We have had on just last week, if if you missed it, we had on Danny Ramirez. Now, a couple things with Danny Ramirez I want to ask because I, I listening back to the show and hearing what you had to say and and sort of absorbing that, I, I thought about a few things. One of the things that I feel Danny Ramirez is doing just in terms of in the culture is, or what he has the potential to do is redefining what a Colombian is to people. You know, he's Colombian and Mexican, but you've told me how you've actually, this is the influence of pop culture on how we're perceived. I mean, I could talk about black, but but specifically I've learned from you, you went to what country were you in where someone thought they were kind of getting close to you by telling you something culturally insulting? Oh, yeah. This was Morocco. Morocco. Okay. And so they equate Colombian with drugs. And that's that's when you say Colombian, what's the image? What's the role? That's what in pop culture has been portrayed. Exactly. Now, Coming back to like a Danny Ramirez now, not only do, and Mexican, let's not even get into how Mexicans have been portrayed. So being Colombian and Mexican and being in this case, you know, we had the white Captain America and let's say that represented, you know, what we've seen for heroes. Marvel is arguably the most influential pop culture media of our time right now. And we've had all these white heroes. The next wave is all these heroes of color. We see what's coming with the Eternals. And Danny Ramirez is clearly graduating to where Anthony Mackie was in terms of the Marvel Universe. Like, he's Captain America now. Who's going to be Falcon? So I'm wondering if culturally we can accept this new image of a Colombian and a Mexican as a hero. Because I can't think of a, a Colombian hero or a Mexican hero in film, pop culture, you tell me one. You'd have to tell me one because I can't even think of one. So what's your take on that parallel? Or do you think it is a parallel of what's going to happen in the culture? You said it. It's Heroes of Color, right? And when you look at Heroes of Color, you think African-American. Now you're thinking Asian because it's being introduced by Marvel. That's the validation. That's the recognition. That's the vouching process. Validate Cultural media. Okay, pop culture validation. Right. And... You guys are being validated. We're not. And so I, as a person who sees my friend go up and up and up and up, there is only so much happiness I can feel for you, man, until the point where I'm like, well, how much are you making now? Uh, I'm making $30 million for this movie. How much are you making? Well, I'm still with the $3 I got here. I'm still doing self-tapes. Any help? Well, you know what? Be patient, Jack. Mm. Sorry, that's not the type of answer I want to hear. I want to be 
up there with you. So maybe you make 30 million. I'd like to make 10 million. I'd like to make 2 million. But to make nothing at all? Now, this is the metaphor that I'm using for the rest of it. All us Latinos are seeing everybody go up except us. And somebody wants to say, you shouldn't feel it. You should just support us. No. Listen, it's okay for us to complain about a clear transgression happening specifically to our culture. It's intentional. They are systematically erasing us from the cultural landscape in this country, Mike. And I believe it's for one reason. We, as a Latino community, are a question without an answer. We are an enigma. We are a quagmire. And the thing is, we'll never be able to do this together as Latinos because we're just Latinos from different countries that have been created into this bubble of monolith that, 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 that is the Richard Nixon's idea of what Latinos are. That's not our idea. In order for us to be successful, we're going to have to do this individually, meaning that Argentines are going to create their own movie and that movie might hit, you know, a hundred million dollars. And then all of a sudden we unify around it. This might be the situation that's going to happen within the Heights. I mean, this happened with La Bamba. La Bamba wasn't a Latino based uh, project that we all got together to create La Bamba and La Bamba hit number one because all of us together protested and we fought to. No, dude, that was just a movie that came out. Uh, some guys got together. Hey, what about this song? What about this guy? Yeah, well, you know, Warner Brothers will put it out. They distributed it. Let's test it out. Wow, look at this hit. It was accidental, Mike. It was accidental. So for us to unite, we'll have to do it individually and then later unite on that success. In the Heights, West Side Story. Vivo, the new um, Lin-Manuel Miranda Netflix animated movie, that one, the Brothers Garcia that was just recently announced. All of these projects, all of these projects about to release or the ones that are in development can only be successful, in my opinion, if white audiences or black audiences love it. If it's only Latino audiences liking Latino movies, it means that only Latinos will enjoy it. And that's the case with Univision and Telemundo already. We already talked to ourselves, but we're still invisible. Why? Because we live in a... What happens if you move into a neighborhood with your neighbors and you just don't see your neighbors? Your neighbor... I'm living in the same block, but they don't see me. I don't see them. We're in the same block, but we don't see each other. That's what that's what feels like in America for Latinos, that we're in this together, but we're really not. And unfortunately, unless these movies hit that big time success, we're never going to be able to unify ourselves. We're still going to remain invisible in front of others. It's American apartheid, Mike. It's American apartheid that's happening to us. One of the other topics that has been just rattling me, Mike, 
it's this news story that came out the other day. Uh, Danish Oscar winner, Another Round. It's the movie that won Best International Film. Well, it looks like it's getting the Hollywood English language remake treatment and Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be starring in it. Even though Mads Mikkelsen speaks English, there's this need to remake it after it just won. It just won, dude, meaning that it's really, really good. But I think here in America, Mike, we have a weird, weird obsession with remaking stuff that isn't in our language. And I wanted to ask you, do you think that's racist or do you think that's just capitalism? Racist, I wouldn't necessarily specifically use that term, but I think Americans are less likely than probably audiences in any other country to embrace uh, a film with subtitles. Americans don't like to read. I have friends who are like, oh, it's got subtitles, I won't, they won't watch it. I mean, that's, that's shifting. But who are these Americans? Who are these Americans? Uh, movie, you and I read? No, no, no. Movie going Americans, you and I—you can't put ourselves in that category. We we watch all kinds of films. We're you know we're cultural critics. Come on, we're not in the same category as the quote unquote average movie going audience. The average movie going American audience does not like subtitles. That's one. Dubbing—that's been made fun of to the point where mm, I, I don't know. I mean, at home, you—if there's a dubbed version, people may watch it for for like a Jackie Chan movie or something. But I, I don't I don't think dubbing I can't think of a movie that was dubbed that wasn't maybe animated or something that that really made a lot of money. So that's the economic part. But I don't think and this is coming back to what you're calling racism. I think one of the brilliant things I thought to me, Apocalypto, he made this movie in a dead language. So everybody came into the to the movie, into the story with the same cultural disadvantage. Americans don't like to be at a cultural disadvantage. You know, if a film has subtitles, it's a foreign film. You know, there was a debate whether or not Minari, because even though it's made in America, takes place in America, American filmmaker, because there's a foreign language used, they wanted to push it into the foreign language category because of this Again, you're calling it racism, but this cultural disadvantage that Americans no, here's what it's called. It's called American supremacy, Mike. Okay, there it is. <laughs> That's what it's called. These foreign film remakes are all built on the structures of American supremacy. And what is implied here is that because it's a foreign language, a sector of Americans can't deem the film watchable because it's not in American English which is very different than any other type of English because our English is the best and our movies are the best. And how can we do a different film that's not American? We are the best and you need to understand it. You want to go to war with it? We'll go to war. We got the best mil- I mean, dude, it's just a movie, bro. You don't have to remake it. What is wrong? What is the implication when we can't read a subtitle, Mike? What is the implication when an English language actor who makes a Danish movie it can't be put in a theater because we're not going to go see it unless it's Leonardo DiCaprio and it's in American English. What is the implication there? You know, I'm going to tell you why I have a, I agree with you, but I have a, it's a little more nuanced for me because a lot of right now, foreign films being remade, there are American films that have been remade foreign as, as well, but foreign films being remade into American films, that's a long history. But I particularly, when you said remakes, part what resonates with me is when they do these remakes of white films and put an all black cast. <laughs> okay. I can't tell you how many times yet that's been done. A lot of times it's not good. You know, sometimes like The Preacher's Wife is, you know, a remake of The Bishop's Wife from 1947. 
there's so many examples of, you know, the black honeymooners or whatever it is. There's so many examples where they feel they have to blackify something and it's and it's a remake that's been blackified. Ralph Crabden's not just a bus driver. He's a man of vision. This country was built on half-ass schemes. Like the guy who came up with the thong. He ran out of material and used what he had. Yeah. Ed Norton's not just a sanitation engineer. I'm a specialist. It's like I'm a brain surgeon, a Spider-Man. He's a man of action. Ah, uh, you know, I have issues with that. Well, that the whole the whole notion about one day at a time and, you know, um, the Honeymooners, the blackified version of the Honeymooners with Cedric the Entertainer, etc. I understand why those movies were made like that. They weren't remade so it can make money. They were remade so we can see ourselves mm-hmm. In these characters that were always exclusively right, white. Right, tap into this audience. Right, and so because right. I'm not white and I don't, you know, live in a white household with white dynamics and white nuances and white privilege, I don't fully grasp the depth of those characters because they're very different than mine. But if we were to put ourselves in, how would those dynamics change? And I think if you look at One Day at a Time, English, white, American, English version, and the Latino English version, the dynamics are different. The cultural nuances are different. The problem with Latino content for everybody, for every Latino, that's the quagmire, Mike. That's the conundrum. That's the the eternal dilemma. That's the question without answer. Because you're going to have to satisfy 21 to 27 countries, including the Caribbean, which they all speak a different language of Spanish dialect. Uh, they all eat different foods. They all Their jokes are different. What might mean something offensive, uh, what, what one word might f- seem offensive in the Caribbean is totally fine in the South of Latin America, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you can't create Latino content for everybody. Uh, at least every Latino, you really got to create Latino content for the universe, including whites and blacks. And let me tell you what happens with Latinos as soon as white people and black people and every other type of race or ethnicity like it, then we like it. It's like the whole syndrome of the sweater. Hey, that's my sweater. I don't want to use it anymore. But as soon as somebody else starts using it, then I want it back. Then I like it. Then I love it. Then I need to wear it again. I don't want you to wear it. That's us. Well, that also brings up the concept of cultural validation, like you were mentioning. And cultural validation, where does it come from? What is culturally valid? Why does the Met get more money than the Latino Museum? Why does one culture of greater value, like you said, the, the, you know, American English is like, well, we make the best movies. We have to remake this Intouchables with, you know, with two, you know, two American actors. Mm You know, and Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston, right? Kevin Hart and Brian, exactly. Now that the French movie is great, it's brilliant, and what's the nuance is for me the advantage is getting a sense of what it is to be black in France. Yes, what it is to be French. Yes, in France, getting a sense of that's France. right. That that's what made it interesting. I don't need to see this story in America. Now that being said, the movie was not bad, but. Did it need to be remade? You know what? You just tapped onto something, dude, brilliant, which is the ability to live 
vicariously to voyeur ourselves through the complexities of another country's culture, through their ups and downs and how are they different than us? It's the equivalent of traveling somewhere else and living with these people for years and then to fully understand their depth as people and how different they are from us. But these remakes completely prohibit us. They rob us from the ability to 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 live their lives, to to live in their shoes for a little while and see what it's like to be un-American somewhere else, what it likes to be French, what it like what's like to be black French or disabled French or or whatever it may be. And mm-hmm, and not to mm-hmm. be able to see that because we need to see ourselves as the center of the fucking universe. Dude, it's All driving right. me nuts. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate with you. What about a situation like Eat, Drink, Man, Woman? Okay, that was a film, won all these awards. Ang Lee's put him on the map, but then they remake it as Tortilla Soup. (laughs) Okay, okay. So what hopefully is everything you were saying, like the the nuances of, of One Day at a Time remake is that now we're dealing with different things, dealing with immigration. We're dealing with, you know, being Latino and whatever culture they decide to make those people of. And from, do you think there's validation? Like if that happens in the remake that we, okay, we discovered eat, drink, man, woman, we discovered, you know, things about being Chinese, but tortilla soup, did we really learn anything about Latino? Right. right. (laughs) It's it's a fascinating, interesting question. And I think that in the Heights, West Side Story and a lot of these other projects that are coming out soon will really be able to tell us where we are. Look, Coco was a Latino animated film that won an Oscar, Mm -hmm. uh, made a lot of money at the box office. Could it have done more? Yes. But it was universally beloved by everybody of every race. I remember I was sitting in a screening room and this white girl, no, she was white American. This is your, your, your prototypical white American woman. And she was sitting next to me crying. And I said, here's what I loved. I loved that my culture, that that the Latino culture mm. was able mm. to move her, was able to emotionally mm. engage her to the point that she didn't see color, that what she saw mm. was a, a a human emotion coming out of these these cartoons. And that in itself was like, how can we replicate that in live action? every single year so we can be more accepted into the country so the national conversation can be about us too not just about only a few you turn on the news and it just feels like we're not a part of the conversation uh you turn on television we're not a really a part of the conversation unless it's criminals and crossing the border and et cetera et cetera so mike it, a lot is riding on in the heights a lot is riding on these projects because if they don't work, we got a problem.
Mike, what is it about white people constantly ripping off black people's ideas, using them on their own and not crediting black people? Uh, that's the this American way. That's the American way. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> the American way. But I thought after Black Lives Matter, this wouldn't be happening as much. So what ended up happening is at Clubhouse, there's these rooms called Shoot Your Shot that a lot of them were created by uh, black members of Clubhouse. And Shoot Your Shots, they're essentially dating. You know, they're matchmaking rooms where you have a woman and a guy and a woman say, hi, my name is Sandra. And the moderator will say, OK, Sandra, let's see which guys wants to shoot their shot on on Sandra. And a guy will raise his hand. He'll sing a song and she'll find out whether she wants to have him slip into her DMs and form a relationship. These NYU white girls decided to do the same. But here's the difference between the black rooms and the white rooms is that the white rooms got signed up by WME, by a big agency that's now going to do a big project with them. And what was that for? All of a sudden. It was like, you're ripping our ideas off again. This is not necessarily to fault the app itself for the NYU girls, but rather all the brands, journalists and sponsors that didn't do their due diligence in finding out that these white girls were ripping off of black people's ideas, never crediting them back. We saw this with Jimmy Fallon and Addison Rae and Maya Johnson, where Jimmy Fallon had Addison Rae, who is the second most followed TikTok star he had her come on her show to dance to a couple of songs and all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, but those songs are in her. She didn't create it. So why are you making it seem like she created them? And Addison didn't say, by the way, I'm using someone else's dance moves. So just so you know. And then that became a big hoopla. And it seems to be happening anywhere, even on a new app like Clubhouse. I mean, it happened not too long ago uh, last year in the fashion industry, where, where this company, Pretty Little Thing, asks, contacts this black designer. Uh, she calls herself Foxy Brown to ask for a sample of this. Like the, the owner's like, oh, I love this, whatever. And then next thing you know, is releasing a line that is literally a complete ripoff. So this, this kind of cultural appropriation is not new. To me, TikTok, it's just the more technology we have, there are more more ways that they can culturally appropriate things from the Black and Latino. I mean, I think a lot of, you name an aspect of America that is considered cool, and I would say it came from a brown part of a culture that it doesn't want to acknowledge or deny or, or you know, give credit to. That's my take. Right. Yes. And I agree with you. I think this all comes down to that there's a majority and those majority uh, are in a position of power. And I've always said this, Mike, you know, the way black people like to just to, they like to praise black excellence, right? White people love to celebrate themselves, too. They like to be like George Lopez says. They love to be superheroes. Uh, they love to fly. Hello, Oscar. Right. <laughs> they love to celebrate themselves in any way that they can. It feels like they're including us into their celebrations with a lot of these award shows. These award shows were meant for them, not for us. And so we have our BETs. We have our Premios Juventud. Yeah, yeah. You go play there. Why can't you just stay there? Brother, because we live in America. America is supposed to be for everyone. We're supposed to mix all ourselves into these award shows because that's an accurate representation of America, not just white. So can we kind of just have an award show for everybody? 
That's what we're trying to do. But unfortunately, when a white agent is looking for talent, he's mostly looking for that white talent that reflects his vision of success, of triumph, of what other people like. And when we talk about other people, he's really speaking about white people, his friends, his family, his neighbors, his co-workers. That's who he's referring to. Don't even get me going, because I, I always think like, how many great rappers do you think there were that didn't get signed when Vanilla Ice got a contract? Okay. Oh, <laughs> how many great black and Latino rappers do you think were out there? And you're being kind. You say they like to celebrate themselves. You know, there are those who feel that they like to celebrate their own mediocrity. I didn't say that, but I've heard that said. It, once again, we see it in Clubhouse. Um What is interesting, though, is that the defense for the girls, one of the girls said, hey, listen, we're trying to make a go of it. And we're women living in a patriarchy world. Isn't that one of the problems of this country that we need to represent women a little bit more? And all of a sudden, here come us women. And now we're being dragged through the hole. You're being dragged through the hole because you didn't come up with it, girl. You don't have an original idea for yourself. Listen, that's some BS. I call bullshit yeah. on that shit. You, you say that, you know, and this is how we're pitted against each other. We're all competing for the cultural validation of white media, white audience, white, white money, you know, the, the, the white power structure. We're all vying for that. So if one gets and then the other doesn't, well, they're going to try and tear that one down. It's never enough until we build our own. That's it for this 48th episode of Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. We have a lot of great interviews coming up during the next couple of months, and your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Tirado, and you can follow our comments and opinions on Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. That's it for now. See you next week on another episode of Brown and Black. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.